If you're in search of a little escapism, legendary storyteller LeVar Burton is back with all new episodes of LeVar Burton Reads. LeVar Burton's a legend, people. We grew up with LeVar Burton. And each week, LeVar blends immersive soundscapes and his unmatched narration style to fantasy, mystery, and sci-fi stories from famous authors like Octavia Butler, Neil Gaiman, Ray Bradbury. Your daily life will seem light years away. You can hear new episodes of LeVar Burton Reads every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts. Pod Swag is your one-stop shop for merch from all your favorite podcasts. Rep the shows you love with items like shirts, pins, hoodies, decals, mugs, posters, accessories, and more. New styles are constantly being updated for you to add to your collection. It's also a great place to shop for gifts for your podcast-loving friends. Pod Swag is where the uh, beautiful anonymous merch lives. I, I hear rumor we got a new t-shirt heading out soon. We'll see. We'll see if we can get it together. Go to podswag.com slash beautiful to shop our collection today. That's podswag.com slash beautiful. Hello to all my pornographers with a good heart out there. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names. No holds barred. I'd rather go one on one. I think it'll be more fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Hi, everybody. It's Chris, and I'm back. Harry Nelson has been fired, and I got my job back. No, happy April Fool's Day, everybody. Happy April Fool's Day. We've been laying track on that one for a while. And uh, not going to lie, I giggled at the reaction when I, when I woke up on Monday morning and saw uh, dozens, if not hundreds, of Facebook posts, tweets, and Instagram comments asking me what was going on and why I had either lost the job here or, or left the job here. Everything's fine. It was just a joke. April Fool's Day joke. This whole this whole thing started. I just started doing a bit, saying Harry was looking to take my job, and then we we realized one day, Harry and Jared and I realized, oh wait, April first is a Monday. We can drop an April Fool's episode and then get right back into the swing of things on Tuesday. And uh, so happy to see that most of you enjoyed it. Apologies to our overseas listeners. I woke up and felt very guilty as I realized that. You know, in places like Australia and Europe, you don't have a holiday dedicated to relentlessly pranking each other. And many of you were quite concerned. Apologies there. Um, some people got very angry at me. And also, poor old Harry Nelson took it on the chin in some of your comments. You guys, don't... Let's not be internet people who lash out in rage on the internet. If you if you said something mean to Harry, please go back and, and apologize or say something nice. The guy's the best. And he did a good job. At the end of the day... You just got a free episode with a great caller. Thank you to our caller for uh, offering up so much good stuff and also just being cool, playing along. It's fun stuff. I'm here. I'm back. Not only am I back, I told you last week that I had big news about the podcast. A lot of you guys said, oh, that was just part of the setup of the April Fool's joke, and it was, but I'm also happy to announce that I'm in the final stages of signing a new contract that's going to bring Beautiful Anonymous back for two more years. Two more years of talking to people. Two more years of uh, hearing stories, of getting you guys on record, of having regular people be able to say their piece to the world in an environment that is safe and accommodates it and that actually wants to listen to you, put you on a pedestal for once. And if we do well enough in the ad sales, we automatically get a third year. So use those promo codes. I'm not kidding when I say that it matters. It'll get us a third year, 2022. 
So nice to meet everybody in the Southeast. Club owners consistently tell me that uh, I have the nicest fans they have ever met, and that is you guys who listen to the show. Thank you, everybody who came out in Huntsville, Nashville, Atlanta, the Carolinas. Thank you so much. Okay, this week's episode, we didn't even know what to call this one. We had to put our our heads together because it's there's so much going on. This caller has lived a life, I mean, we've heard the phrase, you know, dad issues, that some people's parents can get them and dads can, can, I mean, this person has that beyond anything I've ever heard. This is a tale that involves sex and drugs and murder, and none of that is an exaggeration. And I just really thank the caller for opening up so much about what was, I would imagine, some of the most incredibly hard stuff a person could ever live through. Told us all about it. Really fascinating call. Enjoy it. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hello? Hi. How's it going? Good. It's going pretty good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful sunny day where I am, and I have the day off. And that's a that's a treat all in and of itself. Oh, yeah. See, it's freezing cold where I am, and as you can tell... I'm here working my butt off. Yeah, tough stuff over there. Huh? Yeah, this is the easiest. <laughs> this is the easiest job in human history. Talk with, talk with people on the phone. Can I start sweet. with an unpopular opinion, though? I love. Okay. I, I love winter. Wow. Like I have, I'm in winter similar to yours. Mm-hmm. And I, I love it. I'm done it's with it. Like, are you done? Well, I think it's very pretty. I I like winter too. I think it's very beautiful. I love when the snow falls. I, I'm I don't like Christmas music. It drives me nuts. But I like I th- I think when Christmas decorations go up, it's a special thing. But I am done. It lasts too long. I hear you. I hear mm-hmm. you. When okay, end of April, if it's still snowing, I'm I'm done. Like I'm yeah. at my limit. But right now, I'm I'm pretty happy. I and also I got to clarify. I don't. I don't like you can't not associate Christmas with winter, but yeah. I don't really do Christmas. So okay. to me, that's like a separate thing. Winter is just a season that is beautiful and part of life. Christmas is some some nonsense that I really uh-huh. don't enjoy and don't do anything with. I mean, if I never hear Christmas music playing in a public place against my will again, I'll be so happy. Mark, the month of March, that's the real son of a bitch, isn't it? The month of March, because that's when you think spring is coming and it never comes. It's just cold for like three full weeks longer than you expect it. And for some reason, we always think March is where it's going to turn around and it never does. No, no, it never does. March. Listen, like I, I'm a big fan of not complaining about the things I have no control over. Yeah, yeah. So winter... I can't control. I can do nothing about it. So I'm not going to spend my time being upset about it. I'm going to dress warmer. I'm going to wear waterproof stuff. I even, I was sick one day and I went to the doctors and I'm coming home and it was like where I was, it was just, it was a huge snowstorm, like just slush snow everywhere, hard to get around. And I'm standing there with my prescription in my hand, waiting for the light to change. And I'm feeling gross and I'm head to toe. Like I've got snow pants and a big jacket. And this car goes by and just splashes slush all over everybody who's waiting. And I'm just laughing because I'm like, 
Well, underneath, I'm great. Like, I'm not happy about what what I look like right now. But everyone else is wearing, like, you know, their outfit for the day. And they're, they're, yeah, they look like shit now. Sorry, Sally. But, like, it's, it's, you know, you got to prepare. You got to feel. You got to try and make it good. Yeah. If you don't try, then you can't really complain about it. I think it's a good attitude. You know what else I think? I think when people sign up for their entertainment options, what they hope for is two people chit-chatting about the weather. <laughs> yeah, me getting me getting cranky about people, <laughs> other people complaining about the weather. That's what everybody wants to yes, hear about. Yes, you defending the weather and me yeah. having the most cliche opinion on the weather that one could have. Now, I, I, will, I have... Oh wait! I have so many other entertaining things to tell you about if you want. I can't wait! I can't wait to hear. I was just gonna say, just so everybody listening knows, I've been I've been told that you left a voicemail years ago, and we're just getting back years to you. Ago. And I don't know anything about what that voicemail was about. And <laughs> Jared has expressed that he doesn't even know where things stand compared to the voicemail you left years ago. And yeah, I think about that because there's so much that I said. I used to like. Okay, so I would listen like avidly because I had a job that I was driving and I could listen to podcasts. And so I was like, I listened to everyone that came out. I listened on the day it came out and I was always prepared. I was like, well, you know, I would have an interesting show. And then like, I realized in the same way that when you do, when you listen to other people's stories in real, real life, you know, everyone's got a story. So, and mine is kind of sensational, um, but it's not, that different like we all are blessed and cursed with really uh, kind of like unreal things that happen to us that we believe are like out of the norm but just the norm is really weird I think anyways yeah I left it I left a really like sensational soundbite I guess like two years ago two years ago Uh yeah um where I started off probably with the things that are the biggest things that ever happened to me which was Um, I was born into a very dysfunctional family. My father was abusive in every way possible to all of us kids and my mom. And uh, he ended up um, being, uh, you know, fleeing the country with millions of dollars from his financial uh, investment corporation and kidnapping my sister and then was later found uh, in another country uh, found because he murdered somebody by hitting them over the head with an anchor and throwing them over the side of a boat. Um, and that's like, like a part of who I am, but it's not like it's a, it's a piece, but my whole life has been kind of like this one long major fucked up event where I am constantly trying to find ways of being kind of still happy and finding good things in life. Cause it's true. There is so much good. What are you even talking about right now? What are you even talking about? (laughs) You started off where you're like, yeah, two years ago, I thought this story was sensational. But listening to the show, everybody's got a story. I've learned that. Anyway, my father fled the country, stole millions of dollars, kidnapped my sister, and murdered someone. That's okay. We got to – I don't – like you said, so much more has happened in the past two years. Um, I want to hear the well-rounded version of who you are as you keep indicating. There's more to it than this. We got to know some details on this, though. You yeah. can't, these, that can't just be the bullet points at the top. We're seven minutes in. If that's the bullet points and you can get 53 minutes that tops <laughs> what you just said? 
It'll it'll expand on it, but I don't okay. know if it'll top. It's just it's been a weird life, Chris. Like, and it never stops. Okay. Like, I used to want to achieve a normal life, and I've definitely like strived for that. You know, I look pretty normal, and I act like I seem pretty normal. But I can't stop this weird life. Like last year, I was uh, a curator. Um, and, you know, uh, event coordinator for a porn film festival. Like, my life just never stops being this bizarre event, just one thing after the other. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? How do we yeah. do all this in 52 minutes? Because we could talk for 52 minutes about the porn festival. We sure could, yeah. Or we could talk for 52 minutes about your dad. So what would you say we do? Oh man, I don't know. It's tough. Like, I think, I think maybe just the overarching theme that seems to keep coming back to me, despite all the weird stuff, is like learning how to be loving is like the most important thing to talk about because that's like people can talk about sensational like bad dads and dysfunctional families all day long, but like, what's the important thing to talk about? What are people going to get value out of this show? I think like learning in a society and in a world and in families where there's no actual love, there's like talk of love. Like my whole life has been learning how to be loving and I was never taught how and I was never shown and I didn't get any love and I've like tried really hard. I've like suffered in the name of figuring out how to be loving to others and to myself. And I think, I think I got there and that's, I think one of the most important things in my life. That's amazing. That's amazing yeah. to hear that you got there. Um, I would imagine when when you say you were never taught that, it does sound like that does go directly back to your father, at least in some sense, I'd have to imagine. Yeah, and the, the sad fact is that I had a shit mom, too. Ah. It's unfortunate, but yeah, I know, it's really... And I didn't know that until later, you know, when I was just... When it was, you know, it was just her, I kind of was just okay with how she was and then it took years of therapy and lots of things later to be like oh like you weren't very loving and again not fully her fault we just people don't know how to be loving but like there was no loving touch like she only held my hand across streets like there wasn't like hugs or you know rubs on the back or or even saying i love you like that was right. just there was none how many siblings do you have i have three Three siblings. Mm -hmm. Do you think I'm the youngest? <laughs> do you, Do you think on some level that being in what sounds like a really scary, tumultuous, brutal situation? Do you think that I'm not trying to be an armchair analyst? Just asking. Do you, on some level did would you say your mom was just like, man, this family represents the ways in which I'm kind of trapped or dealing with horror or was it just nope the personalities of both your parents were not built or equipped from the start to raise kids um i think built from the start she just wasn't like i don't think you know so i went through 12 steps for dysfunctional families because uh in my early 20s i i ended up becoming quite the addict um because i didn't know how to process the, all the feelings that i had from not being loved, being, you know, having so much violence in the home, my family being torn apart, poverty, because we were 
once my dad left, we were poor, like like dirt poor, country living, thought the house was going to get taken away, kind of shit. Um, and yeah, like I, when you go through twelve steps for you know dysfunctional families, you realize that dysfunction is just passed on. And I, you know, as much as she is at fault for not being loving, she is also a product of her childhood, which was probably very unloving as well. And that's like, it's an age thing too, right? Like kids from the forties and fifties and sixties, their parents, that was the whole, uh, you know, not being loving to your kid was giving them the best childhood possible. Spare the whip, spare the rod, spoil the child kind of yeah, thing. It's just yeah. like, that was their, that was, that was them trying their best. Yeah, I think about that a lot too, and and I certainly did not have a situation with nearly as much pain as yours, but I think a lot about that, about how even when I was growing up in the 80s, there was this like premium put on the idea of being tough, that toughness mm-hmm. was this prized thing. Yeah. And then you think back to your childhood, and at least in my case, I'm like, oh, there were so many moments where it would have served me to drop that shit to not be tough why be tough when you don't have to be be tough when you have to be but we made it this like brass ring toughness at least where i grew up and it oh yeah i want to i do not want to pass that on to my my kid when he comes i don't want that oh yeah dude one sec congrats i'm so happy for you thanks i'm so happy for you this kid is very lucky Eh, we'll see. We'll see. Or he'll be raised by a notoriously anxiety-ridden man, and he'll have to hilariously unwrap that as he grows older. But I think I'll give him a lot of love. We'll start. Well, there. you know, that's why this is an important conversation, because talking about what love really is... Yeah, exactly. ...is all part of what raising good... You know, being good at raising children is. Because, like, you can fuck up, and you can be anxious, and you can make mistakes, and you can forget them at the mall, and all sorts of things. <laughs> But if you're loving, you'll get through it. Now, forgetting him at the mall sounds awfully specific. Were you forgotten at the mall? No, I was forgotten somewhere else. (laughs) That was just, that just came up because other people have malls in their upbringings. I didn't have a mall. Where were you forgotten? Uh, uh, The worst one was at a soccer game. She just never showed up (sighs) to pick me up. And then when I got a ride home from the coach, an hour after we finished, she was like, listen, I got to drive you home. You know, I got to go home. And then when she finally showed up at home, she yelled at me for mm-hmm. not being at the game when she, or not being at the soccer field. And I was just like, I don't know what to do with this right now. Like, yeah. I understand that you're upset, but also I, like, I wanted to be upset with her uh, and I couldn't. We, none of us could ever be upset with her because she suffered because my father was so bad. Right. But really, right. I, would have loved to have been really mad at her so many times. She was terrible. <laughs> of course, yeah, but she's standing on this platform where you guys were there to see it. Mm. That's a lot to unwrap. So your your yeah. dad. I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on the abuse because even through what you've already told us, it was clearly very bad for you and your siblings and your mom. And it breaks my heart. And I first want to just say I wish you did not have to go through any of that. I do want to know, I do, I would love, just because it is the sensational story, what is this business about your father fleeing with these millions of dollars and kidnapping your sister and murdering someone? I I do feel honor bound to ask more about that. 
Do you know what's funny is that this is also super identifying and I maybe shouldn't have started with all that or like maybe like <laughs> omitted some of the details, but it uh, shot myself in the foot. It's just because it was so public, I've always had to talk about it. So I have always been very, very comfortable because you can't have someone fleeing with millions of dollars and kidnapping and killing somebody without it being attractive to, you know, the media. Right. So mm-hmm. it's just been something I was forced to get really, really comfortable talking about. So I'm sure there'll be some identifying factors and I'm sure some people will be like, oh, shit, I know this. I know this guy. But well, I'll uh, go ahead and offer this up too to our listeners. A rule that I've put out there before. Hey, be cool. Don't Google. It's anonymous for a reason. So be cool. Resist the urge. Let this project yeah. be what it's supposed to be. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you want to know about the crazy sensational part, the fleeing, the money, the that stuff? So it, I would imagine fleeing. You said it was a business thing. So is he a shady business person? Yeah. He got caught. The government tracked it down, it sounds like. Is that the dots I'm connecting? He's a sociopath. Okay. He's a full-on sociopath um, okay. who pretended to have business savvy and financial sense when he had none. Not even an education. He's a grade mm-hmm. nine dropout. Did um, he run the fire festival? Is that is he <laughs> that guy who ran the fire festival? He sounds a lot like him. Do you know what's funny? No, but I'm a promoter. I'm a party promoter, and that <laughs> watching that documentary made me sick. Oh my god! Oh. Strong oh, opinions so on the Fire Festival. I'm gonna, uh, I, I'm gonna take it down that note in case we run out of things to talk about. But I have a feeling that ain't happening. Yeah, Chris. No, I'm a Gemini. There's never gonna run out of things to talk about. I am too. Strong Gemini. I'm Gemini on the Taurus border. Anyway, so your dad's oh. a sociopath. He's convincing people he has business acumen. If yeah, he's got like, millions of dollars to steal, that means people are giving him millions of dollars. These people can't be happy. No, 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 they're not happy. No, and they never got it back. There was never any, they didn't, they, they searched for the money and I think they only found some of it and the money that they used in order to search for it was so much that it became not worth looking for the rest of it. Right, right. So is he physically hiding cash or is it like stashed in all sorts of weird, shady offshore accounts? If I knew... I would go get some <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's I fair. Like, what a dumb question for you to go, no one ever found it. And me going, my question was effectively, okay, where is it? Yeah, where is in in what form yeah. can we go get it? I have a child coming I'd love to afford. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> no, I have, I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, you know, I was really young when all of that happened. And, I, you know, I just, all I know is that like, he had lots of money uh, with him when he left, like a couple million, which back when he left was a lot. Like mm-hmm. that was big money back then. Right now, I don't think a couple million would be con- seen the same way. But uh, Most of us would. I think a couple, you, uh, you, I know what you're saying, but a couple million is yeah. still a big deal. So back then it hey. was a huge deal. Yeah, to you and me, it, was a, it would be a big deal. But mm-hmm. yeah, back then it was a huge deal. So, and then, I don't know, I don't know, I don't like. I can't. I can guess that he probably like spent a ton of it because he did seem like a bit of an idiot. Like we went from. So I was very young. I just remember us like just spending a lot of money at one point. Like we got a pool. We got a Jaguar. We like we would be taken and you know we got Gap clothes as kids and we were like from the countryside. Like you know like mm-hmm. we just something shifted. 
well, but again, I'm young, so I don't know. I'm like, okay, great. And how, then, how young are we talking? Uh, like six, seven. So okay. I don't really get what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the stark contrast was when he left um, and, and we were left with my mom. And so we, um, you know, there was no more of any of that. There was no more clothes shopping for probably the next five to eight years. It was like maybe going to a secondhand, like a charity place to pick up some clothes, like no more gap, no more, like the pool kind of (laughs) went badly. Like it was just like everything just started to like really crumble and fall apart. And it became a really dark time. Um, My sister's missing. My other sister's, you know, doesn't live with us. We're all torn apart. We don't talk about it. You know, the heat is barely on. We don't have any food. I'm like, I'm eight. And I, and I, I didn't know at the time, but I was depressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I figured it out a couple of years later, but I was depressed at eight heavily. Let's go ahead and pause it there. I, I rarely meet people who were depressed at a younger age than I was. That breaks my heart. And I think it's worth pausing and reflecting on. And since we're going to pause anyway, check out the ads. They support the show. It's how we make the show exist. Use the promo codes if you're so inclined. And we'll be back after this with more phone call. Finding the perfect vacation home is hard. Start off looking for a beach house big enough for six and wind up watching videos of surfing dogs. We've all been there. Verbo does the hard work for you, matching you to the perfect place to stay for your getaway. Every time. Download the Verbo app, search VRBO, and you'll discover everything from condos and cabins to villas and castles. Whatever your budget and whatever you want from the home, maybe it's a massive private pool or a place that's kid friendly, Verbo's got you covered. The Verbo app is easy and convenient. It's got great ratings in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. You can use it to browse and book vacation homes from just about anywhere. It's also useful when you're on your vacation because you can send instant messages to the homeowner directly from the app. Download the Verbo app today. To find it quickly, search V-R-B-O and put an end to frustrating vacation searches and the dog videos. Let Verbo find a home that matches you. You've probably heard about Marvel's hit scripted podcast, Wolverine the Long Night, featuring a breakout performance by me as an unnamed librarian who has cats. Gizmodo called it the X-Men crime drama podcast I never knew I wanted. Now Wolverine is back in a brand new season of the podcast. And you can only hear it on Stitcher Premium. This season's called Wolverine, The Lost Trail. And it picks up with Logan in the Louisiana Bayou. Wolverine heads to New Orleans looking for redemption and his ex, only she's nowhere to be found. Dozens of humans and mutants have gone missing. It's up to Wolverine to find out what's going on with Weapon X in pursuit. Along the way, he'll find biker gangs, Gambit, and a refuge run by a powerful mutant. You can listen to Wolverine the Lost Trail now on Stitcher Premium. For a free month of Stitcher Premium, go to wolverinepodcast.com. Use the promo code STORIES. Thanks so much to our advertisers. Now let's get back to the phone call. I'm like... I'm eight and I, and I, I didn't know at the time, but I was depressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I figured it out a couple of years later, but I was depressed at eight heavily. Yeah. And it sounds like, did your father, your father took your sister as he fled? It wasn't a thing where he came back and kidnapped her later. It was, he was out the door and took 
one of your siblings? Yeah. So here's the here's the weird part. So as a sociopath, he's incredibly charming, incredibly charming, charmed every like charmed everybody other money. He didn't even have like no one looked at his degrees and saw none. Like people just believed him because he was charming, and he charmed even us kids. And he was just like. You don't want to live with your mom. Your mom's a horrible person. All he had to say to me as an eight-year-old was like, your mom doesn't like cats. Mm. Do you want to live with your mom? And I was like, no, I want to live with someone who likes cats. Like I just, so he knew how to play all of us. And we, he turned us all against our mom and we, none of us wanted to live with her. So when he was leaving, he, all he had to say was like, do you want to leave with me? And my sister left. It's far more complex than that. I'm like, I'm really oversimplifying, but Mm -hmm. that's, it's, it goes to show the charm of a sociopath that he can like so many people, their inheritance, their money, their, like their savings is gone. He's ruined so many lives, like hundreds of people's lives. Wow. Yeah. And weird question. When, when your sister left, did he try to take all of you or did he target her specifically for some reason? I think he would have taken us all if he could. Mm-hmm. Um, he took, he did take us, I think the year before, again, very hazy memory, very young. Um, he took us on a trip without telling my mom. And I remember being in Scotland and he gives me the phone. He's like, say hi to your mom. And I'm like, Hey mom. And she's like, where are you? And I'm like, Scotland. <laughs> and like, I'm having a great time. I didn't realize that she didn't know where we were. Whoa. Yeah. That's evil. That's evil. Mess- yeah. Messing with a mom through her kids. That's evil. I found out later too that he almost, uh, that he hired, he was about to hire a hitman to kill her, even though she was my, and my brother's sole caregiver. He Whoa. does not give a shit. He was going to do that from his overseas hideout? Yep. Ooh. This is a bad, this is a bad one. It's a bad yeah. story. I've heard some, heard some bad stories over the years on this show, and this is about as brutal as it's been. I'm really sorry. Hey, man, it's okay. I like I've done a ton of healing work. The sad yeah. part about all of this is that I'm kind of alone in my family now. Um, my mom never really did the work to kind of work through a lot of it. She's still very angry, very bitter does not admit to a lot of her part in it, Mm -hmm. uh, which makes it for for some very strained relationships with her. Um, My siblings won't talk about it either um, and how it's impacted them. And it kind of, you know, dysfunction changes people and left undealt with it makes you into, you know, can make you into a really terrible person because you don't know what, how to treat people properly. You've only been treated horribly And you will eventually do that to other people if you don't, if it remains unchecked. Mm -hmm. Um, So it took a long time, but I actually, I don't, I don't talk to my siblings anymore because of how difficult it is to be around them without them kind of treating me, treating others poorly. And to watch their dysfunction get passed on to their kids has been incredibly painful. Um, And as much as I love them. Like, I love them so much, and me not talking to them doesn't mean that I don't love them, but it just means that it's incredibly hard for me to be around them. And to do all of the work that I've done to heal, like, I, yeah, so I, it's been about, it's been about 
two, maybe almost three years now where we haven't really spoken. And it's, it's so painful. That's really sad. That's really sad. I, I would have to imagine coming from a background where you were raised by someone who eventually reveals himself to be a murderer level of, of a messed up human, at a certain point you do have to prioritize taking care of yourself. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. And I like, I, I don't know, I guess I kind of, and I, I grew up thinking that I was going to, I was like the black sheep of the family, the pink sheep of the family. Like I'm, a, I'm queer and they know it. Um, and that was always weird or not always weird, but it was kind of weird. Um, and I was just, I was kind of framed oddly in my family as like, because I was the youngest, I got kind of the least amount of abuse just because for the, I had the least amount of time with them. And because when you're younger, you're kind of cuter and in more innocent. So they would like throw me into situations where I was like, ask dad if we can watch TV when he's in a bad mood. And I would go in with my pigtails and be like, I'd like to watch TV. And he would say yes, because I was cute. And, you know, I think that I, they, they all, I think there's a lot of resentment towards me for the fact that I got less abuse than all of them, um, which is fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. that's not a okay thing to hold against somebody. And it's not like it didn't affect me. Like right. I didn't turn out to be a cocaine addict and an alcoholic for no, just for the fun of it. It was really hard to process the emotions that I felt, especially because Here's the really, this is one of the sadder parts about all this, is that my dad was more loving than my mom. And I loved him. And I loved how much he loved me. And there was no room to process that in our home and in my family. Uh, Because I missed that. I missed being loved as a child. Um, And that's really tough. Yeah, that's horrible. It's beyond yeah. tough. It's, it's one of those things where you talk about it in conversation and then you find, wind up saying something like, it's really tough. And everyone <laughs> knows there's, what else can you say? Because there's not really a word that encapsulates what it really was. So you say something like that, but it's beyond tough. Yeah. It's way beyond tough. Yeah. I, I do have to ask, no. just just because... It would, I'd wonder forever if I didn't ask. And again, I, I, I really do respect and appreciate the fact that you're thinking proactively, letting this be a platform, and you keep saying that this is about figuring out how to love, figuring out how to be yourself, figuring out how to take care of yourself. And I do want to focus on that just so that I'm not wondering forever. So your dad eventually, you said, murdered someone on a boat. Mm-hmm. And... Details are up to you. I do just want to know, is he in jail? Did he pass away? <clears throat> At the very oh, least. Oh, man, I uh, wish he'd die. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Well, it would be easier for all of us, man. <laughs> I hate to laugh. I, you can feel that that is a laugh of sympathy where it's like, oh, it's it's really that simple. Yeah, yeah, it's really yeah, yeah. that no, simple. Okay. You, can, you can laugh and it's okay. Um, he's in jail. He's alive. Uh, there's a chance he'll get out, but you know, fingers crossed that he dies first. Wow. Was your, was your sister there? Was your sister on the boat or had she been, had she made her way back? She was not on the boat. Um, uh, she was not on the boat. She was not on the boat. Uh, she, 
was actually, I don't know where she was. Cause I, again, this was like when I didn't know them. And the other thing is like, we don't talk about this time period. Uh, I can't even decipher what is true and what isn't um, from that time period and from her. Um, and it's pretty, it's like, there's, I got to admit, there's a lot of more, there's a lot more deep dysfunction and abuse that happened to some of my older siblings than that happened to me. As far as I know, I don't have a lot of memories of my childhood. I have like a couple of standalone memories from like, you know, first memory to like eight when it all went down. Um, but I, I do have to acknowledge that like, there's a lot worse stuff that I know of that happened to my siblings. And then, so I can't, I don't want to under undermine or take away from that for them. So, um, yeah, she, she was not there and I, I don't know what she was doing, but I also, you know, I feel for her and the fact that she has so much of this, like this is for that to be part of someone's history, for that to be part of someone's like formative years. I don't even know what to like, how that would, like fully how that would fuck someone up. Yeah. Yeah. Especially as you, as you've said, I think pretty graciously a number of times you were the youngest, you endured the least of it. There's maybe you were still in a very cute phase where it didn't, you know, it didn't, you didn't have to take it down the chin as hard as them. And you still have mentioned that you wound up an addict. I would imagine at least in part, in an effort to sort out or suppress or deal with all these feelings and all this trauma. Mm -hmm. So I can't mm -hmm. imagine how hard it is to have been the sibling who was actually there as all that stuff unfolded close up. Exactly. 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 That's the stuff that's so hard to even try to understand like that. Like I, I want to, and I would like to really be there for my family in that way. And I've like tried to encourage the healing and I've tried to encourage talking about it and like, you know, normalize therapy and, you know, be honest about my own stuff. And I've, I've really tried to make this an okay thing to do together and to remind each other that this is important because as I said, with dysfunction before, if we don't deal with it, it's going to just keep getting passed down. Yeah. Um, and that has been definitely one of the hardest things is to watch my siblings ignore that process for their own, like, I want to be honest, I don't fault them. Yeah. That's a lot to unpack. That's a huge amount to unpack. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that would rather die having not unpacked it and just pretended that everything was okay than to go through the, like, the shame, the grief, the sadness, the loss, everything that comes with understanding that you had one of the most fucked up childhoods and nothing's ever going to make that go away. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't blame them for not doing the work, but I had to put up boundaries on the fact that like, I, I, I am doing the work. And when I see you and talk to you and you haven't, and you kind of put that on me or bring, try and bring me down to where you're at. It, it, I can't keep doing it. Right. It un for whatever reasons and I'm sure again, their own damage I would have to imagine they are not intentionally setting out to undo your work, but it has that effect nonetheless if you get dragged back into it. Yeah. That's well that's what that's what dysfunctional families do. Everyone has their role. 
and there's, you know, I'm a scapegoat. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a lot of different things in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of here to make them feel a little bit better about themselves because they're doing their best to seem normal with their regular jobs and their marriages and their children. And I'm over here with my drug addiction and my multiple partners and my queerness and my porn festival and my, all my <laughs> fucked up things that I've done. And I'm, I'm a way for them to feel better about themselves. Um, when the truth is that, you know, yeah, I'm fucked up and yeah, I live a really weird life, but I'm actually pretty happy. Like I have real moments of happiness. Right. Um, and I didn't have that until it took me till 30 to experience actual happiness because it right. had been sucked out of my life. So yeah, they're looking at you living maybe what, what maybe by the mainstream would be viewed as some more fringe lifestyle choices and they're judging that and you're sitting there going, well, I'm the one who's living free. I'm the one who broke out. So there's two yeah. sides to every coin. That's what we're saying. Yeah, and it's living authentically. Like, yes, yes. yes I I feel all the pain. I feel that stuff. I cry often. Crying is very easy for me. I also have a Pisces moon. It's very watery. (laughs) Um, Like I feel all my emotions very viscerally. Um, So like, I'm not going to recommend this path because it's full of happiness. My life isn't full of, you know, nonstop happiness, but I get some of it. Mm -hmm. And those moments are really, precious and worthwhile. They're worth all the work and it's worth all the difficulty and the moments of feeling alone and, and empty. And like, there's some real difficult moments there sometimes. Like I told you, I don't like Christmas. Guess why? Christmas is fucking tough for us. Like that's, that's when my dad left. That's when we realized we were dirt poor. That's when my family fall, fell apart and it's never really been reclaimed as like a fun, beautiful thing. It's always been kind of gross to me since. Right. Who knew that the weather chit chat was actually just laying <laughs> a lot of track for the discussion of uh, the fallout that comes from a, from a dysfunctional childhood and that's stating it lightly. Now you said... Uh, dude. You said you. It's all like this. I can't imagine. I mean, yeah. There's you. We could have a ten-part series that was just calls with you. I think, and I say that with love. I say that with love. So you. Yeah, I feel the love in that. Don't worry. You fell into. You said cocaine, alcohol abuse. You also said you said something that I thought was interesting because you mentioned being in a twelve-step program, but it didn't sound like it was. And again, I'm very, very respectful of the anonymous side of these programs didn't sound you, you didn't, you said you were in a 12 step program for abuse. So it didn't sound like you went to AA or NA for the addictions. I, yeah, I, I, I had, okay. So I was, I was 26 and I was deep in, uh, like me deep in cocaine and MDMA and ketamine and, um, yeah, red wine uh, and and wheat, and I would just a little I would, further down the list of concerns. I will say, red wine, a glass of red <laughs> wine at dinner is a little different than saying you are quote oh, knee deep in cocaine. Knee deep in cocaine and red wine, um, <laughs> which some people were like, "That's a great life." What are you talking about? But it was it was rough. It was what I was doing was I was I was intaking as much as I possibly could so that I would stop feeling 
everything that I was feeling because it was just welling up. It was not ever going away. And um, I, I got to, I got to 26 and it was, it was like, it was, that was the height of it. It was just nonstop, like wasn't sleeping, wasn't eating, was just doing all that kind of stuff. And then never, you know, taking care of myself. I did not know how to take care of myself at all. I didn't cook, I, you know, kept an okay apartment, but like I was not a functional human being. Um, and I, I started dating somebody at the time who, um, after a couple months of being together, sat down with me and he was like, listen, I'm not going to be your drug buddy. And he's like, I care about you. I, you know, I want to be with you, but if this is where you're going and if you're going and you're like, you know, pointing downwards, he's like, if you're going down, I'm not going with you. And this was the first time anybody had been so frank with me uh, about my addictions. And, and my brother knew how addicted I was. We lived together uh, for a little while and he saw how bad it was getting. Like I was doing cocaine at home on nights off, like wasn't even a full on party thing. This was just a, I don't want to feel like, let's just get fucked up anyways. Right. Um, I've never done cocaine, but the sense I get is that if you're like doing it alone at home, it's, it's gone way beyond what people are usually looking for with the cocaine experience. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This was, this was a, you know, I, it was clearly, I don't want to feel. And the thing was, here's the, here's the interesting thing is that like, I had to come out with my addictions and everything, but like, you know, I was having nights at home with my brother where we were drinking way too much doing cocaine. Like, like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just me. And, and I, you know, and I know people who have had similar level of addictions who have never come out and said I was an addict. Um, just because the assumption is when you're like, if you're an addict, you are, on the streets, you are, you know, you're, you know, losing a limb or, you know what I mean? Like, you're just, you're so far gone. And it's like, no, I'm an addict. I, I kept, you know, I paid rent and I bought some groceries and I had it, I held a job, but I still, I've got to be honest, like that was, that was real addiction for me. Um, I just think that people don't want to admit even the lowest level or like even a moderate level. Yeah. But yeah. Can I ask a weird tangential question that might be very inappropriate? Because I don't want to explore drugs as a positive thing at all, let alone with someone who's overcome addiction. I've never heard anyone talk about ketamine in a way where it actually sounds fun. You only hear that it can get super dark and super fucked up. Let's pause the call. Not a very rousing endorsement for ketamine from this guy. But you know what I will give rousing endorsements to? The many products and services that our advertisers have to offer. We do have ads on this show. Check them out. Use the promo codes. It's what helps the show survive. Be right back after this. Take coloring your hair at home to the next level with Madison Reed. You deserve gorgeous professional hair color delivered to your door for less than $25. For decades, women have had two options for coloring their hair— outdated at-home color, or the time and expense of a salon. Many Madison Reed clients comment how their new hair color has improved their lives. Women love the results. Gorgeous, shiny, multidimensional, healthy-looking hair. 
Madison Reed delivers gray covering, game-changing color you can do at home, and look as if you just came from the salon. What makes Madison Reed color unique is that it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm to create over 45 gorgeous, multi-tonal shades. Look, I've seen it in action when you get a, a bum hair coloring job. I remember one time my wife, you know, she, uh, she's got the bright red hair and, uh, and uh, one time I remember she got it colored and it was, it was, uh, it was just, it got all over the pillowcases and the sheets and you need, what you need is you need quality. And then also Madison Reed gives you quality, but they also give you convenience and affordability. Why would you not go with that? Madison Reed, go get it right now. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Beautiful anonymous listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code people. That's code people at madison-reed.com. Thanks so much to all the advertisers who helped this show exist. Now let's finish off the phone call. I've never heard anyone talk about ketamine in a way where it actually sounds fun. You only hear that it can get super dark and super fucked up. Dude, I hate ketamine. (laughs) Like, I know lots of people that love it. They love, but I, I don't do well with dissociatives. I need to, and it's probably because of my upbringing, I need to be in control. Mm-hmm. I like drugs where I can stay in control because my life is already so fucked up. And if I'm not in control, guess what's going to happen? All that horrible stuff is going to come up from my child. You know what I mean? Like I need to be functional. I need to be in control. I need to be able to get, like, get myself home if I need to get home. So when I was doing ketamine with friends, it was... That's a that's a sign that I was really at a bad place. I hated, I hated ketamine, and I did some. I like I injured myself really badly on ketamine. I still have a huge scar from it. Whoa, um, what happened? Yeah, I everyone is like it's one of those things that people do at the end of the night. It's like brings you down, and you're just gonna like lay there and just feel good. I'm using air quotes right now because I don't like that feeling. Um, but I don't like not being able to control my body. Or, you know, anything that puts me so out of control. So I tried to get up and to leave because I want, I was like, I want to go home, I want to go home. I get myself all the way down the hallway, get out the front door. I'm at the top of the, the small staircase, like small, like porch stairs. And I just go right fucking down. Um, and I just tore my knee open and Yeesh. I was just, I was totally passed out. They found me there and like pulled me back in and I woke up, my knee was attached to the sheets with blood and oh it was bad yeesh <clears throat> yeah sound, and from what you're saying this is a part of your past the drug use and the alcohol yeah so the 12 step group so okay yeah so the 12 step group was introduced to me by that partner that I was with um, and I want to make sure that I am <laughs> very clear about this that partner was a horrible person but they gave me a lot of gifts mm. um, and one of the gifts was this group and it's called um Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families, ACA. And it was, I, I, I owe so much of who I am to that group. Um, it was incredible how much it helped me uh, to be able to understand how much my dysfunctional past shaped me, you know, from being afraid of authority figures to, you know, being you know, having trouble committing, uh, choosing partners who are very similar to my, you know, dysfunctional family members, you know, it's just, it explains a lot and it was so incredibly helpful. And that's why I've always been so humble. 
that's partially why I'm so humble about my story because you go to those meetings and you're sitting there and you're like, okay, like I don't have so much to complain about. Some nights you hear stories where people are like, my parents didn't love me. That's it. And you're like, cool. Good to know. Like it's, it ranges. There's people who had it really rough and people who didn't, but it doesn't matter because the end of the day, if you weren't loved, you are now unable to be loving because you don't know what it looks like. And then you will go out in the world and be unloving in the name of love because you'll keep saying the word and you'll keep telling people that's what you're doing, but you have no clue what you're doing and it fucks people up. And then we just keep perpetuating it. That's really, that's really, um, that, that hits me in the gut. What you just said. It's me in the gut. It happens. In a very real way. It happens way. to everybody. Yep. Was there a moment, was was this a process where it built over time and at some point you realized, oh, I've turned a corner, I can feel positivity, love, happiness, or was there a profound moment that you can remember that was the turning point? It was really tough, actually. So that relationship where he introduced me to that group, um, so he told me, he told me, you know, I don't want to be your drug buddy. I'm like, okay, I'm going to quit. That's, you know, no big deal. Cause I'm like, I'm not an addict. Like it's not a big deal. Try to quit. Couldn't do it. He went away for one weekend to some conference and I went on a bender and it was just like, Oh shit. I am. I am. I'm addicted. I can't stop. And it shocked me. It really shook me to the bone to realize that. Cause I didn't know that, but I thought, you know, I thought I was having fun. I thought I was, just like everyone else I knew, which was true because I was surrounded by addicts who were (laughs) full of problems and trying to numb themselves. So it took a while. I like, uh, you know, I know when I did it too, it was like the second week of May and it's been 10 years uh, that I've been like my version of sober. My version of sober is very specific because ACA is very different than NA or AA. Um, And I decided to quit everything, everything completely, 100%, like no smoking cigarettes, no smoking weed, no drinking alcohol, no Coke, no MDMA, no ketamine, no nothing. And I just quit everything, um, which was terrible for my body. (laughs) My body hated me after that uh, for a while, and it was really tough. And I eventually had to quit my job, too, because I was just... I'm, I also am a workaholic and I'm actually still a workaholic, uh, which is part of what happens to dysfunctional kids from dysfunctional backgrounds is that we tend to take on work as a way of, you know, pretending like we're surviving or that we're doing really well or to kind of replace our other habits. So I still struggle with workaholism for sure. Um, and that group, it was a long process uh, of, you know, working the steps and going to meetings And the unfortunate part was my partner at the time, this one who, you know, wasn't my drug buddy, was also incredibly abusive. Um, He went through the same group because he had abusive parents um, and he turned into an abuser himself. And he, you know, financially abused me. He, you know, wanted half my income. He wanted more than half my income. And I was working minimum wage jobs and providing for both of us. And he would yell and threaten and punch the wall beside my head and scream in my face. And, you know, he told me I was cold and unsexual and we'd never, we didn't have sex for, we were in a five-year relationship and didn't have sex for four years. Didn't even talk, like, no, nothing. Wow. It was 
yeah, this guy really messed my entire world up in a way. And I was already super messed up. <laughs> so I did all this healing work and I did the 12 steps and I like worked on myself. But my, my sense of self was really skewed because of who this person was telling me I was. You know, I'm worthless. He's he's a genius. I should always be, you know, supporting him. He's important. I'm not that important. You know, it was just it was it was a mind fuck from day one. But that's why I got to say, like, he gave me a lot of gifts. Like, I didn't know about ACA and I wouldn't have known about ACA without him. I know about, you know, listening to my body and heal, like listening to the, the signals that my body gives me because he taught me a bit about like Taoism and the, you know, energy and chi. And like, he gave me a lot of things that I took and made my own. Um, but that guy is a piece of shit. And he, I have, I've been very vocal in my community about how abusive he is. Cause I found out a couple of years after I left him, cause I left him one day, just one day. I was just, I had, he was screaming at me in public for something and I couldn't even hear him. My mind just completely tuned out and it was just like, you're done. My mind was just kind of kept telling me over and over like, you're done. This is done. We're done. It's over. And when he finally stopped yelling, I asked, are you, is that everything? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm done. And I went home and I sat there and he like tried to apologize the way that he did and tried to like make it better. And then I, you know, I just said, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to go to this movie thing tonight and we'll talk about it more when I get back. I was like, yeah, yeah. And so he goes and the second the door shut, I like sprung up. It was like my body was possessed. I wasn't really thinking clearly in all this, but I sprung up, packed a bag, kissed my cat and cried because I loved her so much, but packed a bag and left. And I just never went back. And, uh, it was only after leaving that relationship that I started to feel what happiness and joy and the effects of all the work that I had been putting into my life. Um, and therapy, I was in therapy every week for our, I've been, I've been in therapy for eight, nine years. Um, yeah, that's when it turned to point, but I had to leave that relationship for me to actually feel all the effects of the work that I was doing. Wow. That's another, uh, that's another story that stopped me in my tracks and that doesn't happen so often anymore. Yeah, you were particularly quiet. I was like, oh, God, did I lose him? <laughs> I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking about... You have a really amazing way of talking about how all these aspects of your life added up and led to stuff. And also how you had to choose to have some personal sense of agency about not settling for that being your whole life, even as other people around you did. And I find it extremely inspiring. Thank you. Yeah. So what's up with the porn festival? <laughs> oh, man, that was such a shit show. Um, In what sense? I, <laughs> that could mean a lot of things when we're talking about a porn it festival. It really could. It really could. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that I was in charge of the entire fucking thing. No one told me. It was like... It was this entity that existed before I showed up on the job. My job was to run a sex shop. I was a sex shop manager for the last year. I just left recently, thank God. Another 
dysfunctional organization. Um, and uh, yeah, I just kind of like, they, they, I knew it existed as, a, as an event. I didn't know who was behind, like who was running it, what went into it. And I, as I said, I'm a party promoter. So I can do, I can throw events. I know what goes into it. I've been doing it for five years. I can figure it out. I had to watch a hundred submissions of porn. So I like sat there for days on days and just watched porn. And it is, it can really desensitize you. Like, you're just like, meh, like none of this is, none of this is doing anything for me. Um, eventually. And then so there were like submissions. Out, so like Sundance, this was like the Sundance of pornography. Yes. So there's yes. filmmakers really hoping to break into the porn festival circuit. Yeah, well, yes, yeah. And there's like a, there's a really good porn fest in Berlin and then another one, um, I think, in Paris. And like, because there's a lot of independent porn makers that like really want to step away from what porn looks like mainstream. And kudos to them because that shit is terrible. Um, and there's some really beautiful stuff. I definitely recommend, um, like, there's some really beautiful work happening out there. Uh, and I, like, I... I, yeah, I think, you know, there's like pink and white TV uh, down in, I think, L.A. Um, and there's just some really good people out there that are doing really good work that include all different types of bodies and all different types of genders and all different types of, you know, sex. It's just it, it's really inspiring because you're just like, oh, OK, like it's it's not even just like a way to get off. It's like a way to inform yourself that like what I see in regular porn and what I see sometimes in my life, because, you know, uh, I don't know if you can tell I'm a white person and, you know, if my life only reflects back to me, just other white people who look like me, you know, there's something wrong with what I'm doing. Like I need to, especially as like a, a white cis person, I need to be aware of the fact that there's a lot of different people out there and the world doesn't look just like me, you know? So uh, I definitely commend a lot of those independent porn makers for doing like doing some incredible work and making it artful and beautiful and hot. Like I really, yeah, I think, I think it's important for people to go out there and check out some different independent porn. You turned me around on this first. I thought this was going to be like a funny, haha, you wound up in a porn festival thing. No, it's actually got some good, uh, there's some, some good goals and good ethics and morals behind your porn festival. Yeah, man, I can't do anything if it's not got good ethics. I'm like, that's probably another outcome of you know dysfunctional upbringing i can't if i don't care about something if i don't find it like it's got purpose in the world i can't do it like the only reason i throw parties is not to make money because i'm going to tell you right now it doesn't make a lot of money when you're when you have ethics because i don't like sell drugs at my parties i just throw parties and you know i've been doing it for five years they're pretty good but i do it for the love i do it because people being in a room connecting with one another, dancing, being sweaty, meeting new people in their community, finding love, finding relationships, you know, getting along, just feeling good and shaking off the grossness that is our world. Like, that's so beautiful. I, you know, I, I only do things, I can only do things that I really, really care about. It's like, it really makes life difficult because it's not made to do things that you care about and survive. I love what you just said. And you know what? Every once in a while, this show gives birth to a little catchphrase. There's been a handful over the years. <laughs> the idea of shake off the grossness of your world 
is beautiful and very realistic to me. This is not yeah. a this is not a uh, a uh, cone uh, or or like a guruism thing. Shake off the grossness of the world. I think is a goal probably of many people who listen to this show. And I thank you for phrasing it in such a succinct way. Yeah. Oh, you got it, man. Like you can do all the therapy you want, but physically you have to get this stuff out of your body. It's in there. Like I used to be a person who had pain in my body for no reason. I would go to doctors and they would tell me, they would like, do you want painkillers? No, I want, I want to know why my back hurts. I want to know why my leg hurts. Like I want to know why and abuse and, and you know, all of the abuse, like not being loved by people who tell you that they love you, that's abuse. And, and it's not violent. And we want to believe that abuse is always violent. But abuse is a lot of different things. It's a huge spectrum. Mm-hmm. And it lives in our bodies. And we have to physically get, a, get rid of it in the same way that we have to talk through our emotions. Those two things go hand in hand. So if you just go to therapy and you don't physically do something, you're, it's going to be in there. You're physically doing something getting your ass handed to you in yeah, martial arts. I was going to say, my jujitsu is my version of that. Keeps you humble, mm-hmm. lets you get the rage out, allows me to be a pretty grounded person in the other areas of my life, not let my emotions overtake me. Some, exactly. Someday we'll have a beautiful anonymous fan convention where we'll do live calls, <laughs> we'll have a Thomas's English muffin eating contest, we'll do all sorts of stuff, and it'll end in a big dance party that you promote, and it'll be the shake shake off the grossness of the world dance party to end our fan convention and it'll be beautiful all these people will come together all these people i've met out on the road will come together what else should it be besides a live call and we'll eat some thomas's english muffins i don't know harry nelson will try try to make it about himself at some point we'll see how that goes (laughs) i'm just kidding question that yeah that came up. I I don't know if Jared or Harry typed Harry uh, typed this over to me, but I thought it was really fascinating. Um, you know, we're podcasters and we work out of one of the big podcasting companies. And the big trend these days, like the very the very, I think the hottest thing in podcasting is true crime. And I know I listen to a lot of true crime. Is there is that weird for you that true crime is becoming such a massive force as a genre? And you've lived a story that probably would be ripe for one of those shows or podcasts to explore. Is that weird for you to see everybody treating crime as entertainment? Um, no, it, that's not weird for me. It was weird for me when someone made a play about my family, and then they like it was that was weird. <laughs> Were you portrayed in the play? No, it's too much money to do extraneous cast members like me. (laughs) (laughs) We can cut the youngest kid out. Youngest kid had the pigtails. Let's leave the pigtails out. Focus on the grim stuff. Yeah, yeah. Don't pay those child actors. Um, No, and then they they do weird shit, you know, in the name of more sensationalization. It's like as if our story isn't sensational enough, but they'll just like add weird shit to it to make it seem like we're even weirder. And it's just like, just come on. So that stuff's weird to me. The true crime genre, meh. Like, I get, I, I, I don't follow a lot of trends per se. So I guess, like, I kind of know that true crime's a thing that everyone's really into, but I don't really follow it. I guess I have a lot of sympathy for the people. Like, when I hear about those things, 
because of what I've been through, I can't help but be like, oh man, how's the mom or like, how's the family doing? Or like, does it like, you know, are they okay with all of this kind of attention? Because here's the thing. Journalists are, oh, I want to swear so bad. Journalists are fuckwads sometimes, man. Like they're really mean, like really, really mean. Like they cornered us in our home and did not leave us alone for two weeks. I couldn't leave the house. Like they would bombard us everywhere we went. They, you know, and for months, for months, like they would come onto our property, take pictures of me when I was like swimming, like, like they had, and they would just call us and and harass us. And it was really, it was, it was a really negative experience. And the things that they've written about us and the things that they've said, it's just, you know, I, I don't have a lot of love for, you know, journalists who, who behave like that. Um, there's a lot of good journalism out there. I can tell the difference, but man, when you treat families and innocent people like just entertainment commodities, you're a gross human being. That's eye opening. And I tell you, I, I go down the true crime road and I'm going to really, uh, think hard about it. Cause I think podcasting too, I wonder if you guys in the booth agree, like it, it doesn't even have the journalistic integrity. And you say that you're saying that, that even with that journalists cross lines and you can feel it when you're listening to some podcasts that are just like, now we're going to tell you about the most fucked up shit you ever heard and thinking about, yeah, but what about a family trapped in their house? Cause we can't chill out. Eye opening. Yeah. We have 30 seconds left. Please sum up your opinions on the fire festival in 30 seconds or less. Oh man. People who, <laughs> Oh, so many feelings. Just, yeah, people who try to exploit people for money, especially, you know, marginalized populations are gross. And any promoter who's out there not protecting the people who come to their events and put them in place with, with predators are horrible people. That's it. You did it. That's ama- It's thank been you. amazing talking to you. I, I thank you for sharing your story. It's really incredible, really inspiring. And uh, the fact that you've wound up dedicated to the things you're dedicated to really, really impresses me and inspires me. Thanks, Chris. You're an inspiration too, and I really appreciate all the work you do. I'm just a guy on the phone. Caller, thank you for calling. Uh, that's, I would imagine that even just recounting all of that might, might churn up some of the pain of it, and the fact that you were willing to put it all out there... Uh, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story because I bet a lot of people got a lot out of it. Hey, listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, very sincerely, I will just reiterate, let's, let's resist the urge to, uh, to out this person in any way. Why do it? Why do it? It's not nice. She's dealt with enough. Not us acting like junior detectives. Okay, let's move on. Thank you to Jared O'Connell and Harry Nelson in the booth. Thank you to Justin Linville for all your help in my life. Thank you, Shell Shag, for the music. You guys are the best. Want to know about me and when I'm getting out on the road? ChrisGeth.com has all my tour dates. Go on Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe. Really helps the show when you do. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous, money struggles can be real, and our caller's ready to tell us about it. What's it really like being broke in America in 2019? 
you know, when I was doing all those gig jobs, it was really hard to find time to do school and still make a good amount of money. And like getting like medicated unemployment, it's like such a huge process. Like you're not coasting off of it. Everything feels like running in place all the time. And it's so hard to get everything and that you need. Sometimes it feels like I'm never gonna get out of it. I just don't know what to, to do to like just get above water sometimes. That's next time on Beautiful Anonymous.